Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'm Marjorie Punnett. I'm Elizabeth Reese. This is Best of the Nest, the podcast that's all about creating strong, comfortable, beautiful nests that prepare us to fly. And my goodness, Elizabeth, getting some really interesting feedback from last week's conversation about a woman's bargain. It was a fascinating conversation that I've been thinking about so much. Um, if you missed it, we would love for you to go back and listen. And of course, we've got a new topic for you today. But we had this conversation about sort of the the bargain that women make when we're out and about in the world, whether it's for our own safety or for our um, advancement in the workplace. The things that we do to fit into the world that men, frankly, don't have to do and don't have to think about. And it's kind of like one of those things, like when we had the conversations with Liz Winkie about intuitive eating and diet culture, that once your eyes are opened to like the way that all of these things infiltrate and influence us, then you can't close them again. And you see it everywhere. Has that been happening? It's good and bad, actually. It is. We got a really interesting um, piece of feedback, though, from our good friend Molly Cat. So Molly is a podcaster. She is an amazing entrepreneur and influencer and creative. Uh, she has a really cool Instagram account for her house, the Cat House. Oh, that K A T T. That I'm they're renovating. It. Um, this old house that they're um, not just like slapping everything new on, but being really intentional about bringing this house back to its glory. But it's Molly. So- sent us some really interesting feedback. Marjorie, I have it pulled up. Do you want me to read it? Yes, please do. So here's what Molly said. She said, ladies, just listen to your most recent episode and it addressed something I've been thinking a lot about. Over the summer, a buddy of mine, male, complained about how the riots in Minneapolis made him feel like he couldn't go on nighttime runs around the lakes anymore. And Molly says she was like, welcome to being a woman. Right. (laughs) So Molly goes on, and I think she brought up a really fascinating point about something that we were sort of debating, which is where do you go from here and who bears the responsibility of making changes? Molly thought a good step would be, I think the thing that needs to happen with men around this issue is to teach them how to make women feel safe. For example, cross the street if you see a woman walking alone. Give women space when you're waiting in a line or in a crowded place. Don't touch a woman without asking. If a woman gets assertive about you encroaching on her space or whatever, don't get defensive. Just back off. Right. Don't ask a woman to smile or ask why she isn't being nice to you. If a woman in the workplace or a family friend group says someone is making her uncomfortable, believe them. And if necessary, do something about it, even if it makes you uncomfortable. I thought that was really well put. I think that's all very reasonable, and I think that's what we have to look toward is to take care with our language about how we talk about these issues and to be reasonable in our responses, which is what I would ask of men. So I don't think there's anything – I think it has to be – we just have to be very reasonable 
as we go forward. And and I got a note from a friend of mine who had listened to the episode and said that she just gets angry and she was explaining it to her husband that she gets angry that she can't go running when she first wakes up in the morning. Right. So she gets up super early. She's up at five o'clock. And I think for yeah. anybody who exercises regularly, you like to get into a routine. And for a lot of us, you like to get it over with. Like right. that's how you want to start your day. You don't want to wait around till the sun rises so that you feel safe enough to go running. But mm-hmm. she doesn't feel comfortable going running at five o'clock in the morning, nor would I. Um, And so I think that's really interesting to think about. And and like you said, once you start thinking about it, you kind of can't stop thinking about it of how can we make the world feel safer for women? Well, what are the adjustments that a group that isn't the dominant group has to make in order to fit into a system that is dominated by a group of people that isn't you? And, And you know, I mean, we're looking at that in so many ways. We're looking at that in gender. We're looking at that in color. We look at that with sexual orientation. I mean, being a minority isn't always just about, well, there's fewer of you, so you have to figure it out. It's about a system that means that you are not able to do things the way that you would just want to do them. You have to fit into another group's expectations and the way that you need to interact with that group in order to feel safe. And it's so good to have these conversations. And I think that's if, – if anything comes out of 2020 and 2021 and sort of all of the sadness on so many levels that has come from the last year and a half, well, I should say the sadness that has come for centuries, quite frankly, yeah. on some of these yeah. issues. Yeah. Um, the fact that the conversations are happening, we need to make sure that they keep happening. That's always the problem is that these these horrible flashpoints occur And then the conversations happen and then they sort of fade away. And I think it's important to keep the conversation going, which brings us to what we're going to talk about today. We're always having a conversation. (laughs) Yeah, it never stops, (laughs) which is the raising of girls. And you are going to have the opportunity and the joy of raising both girls and boys, which I think is so wonderful. Yeah. But I was listening to an Instagram live. Now, just I have to do in a little side here that when I sat down to actually think about this, I actually blew my own mind. No. That now I'm watching Instagram lives. The amount of media that we can consume in a variety of forms is crazy if you sit and think about it. It totally is. And I was watching an Instagram live uh, that Trini Woodall was doing who is a entrepreneur, business owner, media personality out of London, which I've recommended many times. She speaks to women in such an interesting way. She has a makeup company. And so a lot of her content, I I think, began because of that. But she's just taken on a whole new or for a second time around, taken on the life of a media personality, which she was in the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was a BBC presenter of a of a fashion kind of show. But she does these Instagram lives. And what's kind of cool about what's happening in media, and if you don't really consume social media in that way, I would encourage you to find the media that you're comfortable with. But what it's done for me is it's made it very international. So the other day, I'm watching an Instagram live from Trini, who's in London, and a woman named Mia Friedman, who's in Australia. And so that's what's kind of cool is we're breaking the structures of sort of our insular nature of media. Yeah. Which is kind of cool if you think about it because we are all raised on basically American media. 
But now, like, the whole world can creep into my world, which is fantastic. It's amazing um, slash overwhelming because now how much more do we have to consume? I mean, it, I can't even keep up with the stuff I want to keep up with in this state. <laughs> I know, but I, I, I find it all very exciting. But Mia Friedman, she's an Australian journalist, and she was I, – I found this little tidbit about her. She was the youngest editor of the Australian edition of Cosmopolitan in 1996. She took over as editor at the age of 24. Holy buckets. Yeah, so she's now she's now in her – I think she's just about to turn 50, but she's mm-hmm. been in media for a long time. But they were having a conversation about a number of things, but it came to – sort of the the work that they do and the mission statements for their businesses that they both own. Mia Friedman has a podcasting company, which is primarily podcast for and about women. She okay. started doing a podcast a couple of years ago, and the company's just grown. So she's got 20 or 30 or so podcasts now within her company. And so they were talking about the mission, sort of their women, their female-focused mission. And she said this quote, and it stuck with me, and she was quoting somebody else. She said, girls get their self-confidence from their mothers and their self-esteem from their fathers. Yeah, and it just sort of stuck with me as something that I think we should talk about, mostly because then she went on to say, isn't it true that our experience as girls are so fu- so fundamentally profound on us in terms of the kind of women that we become. Mm-hmm. And I started thinking about how daunting that is when you're talking about raising daughters. And of course, this we'll get to boys as well. But when you think about how the world starts to crush in on little girls and what they're seeing, I just started thinking about that statement that girls get their self-confidence from their mothers and their self-esteem from their fathers. And then I I actually had to look up Elizabeth. What is the difference between self-confidence and self-esteem? So Okay, so I was just going to ask you that, and I'm so glad that you looked that up because I thought, well, we got to get down to the core of what the difference between those two are. I think a lot of times they're used interchangeably. They are, and and I I, I will cop to the fact that we're going to have a very nuanced discussion so if we're going to do that, it has to. we have to be very clear about what we're talking about. So self-confidence is a feeling of trust in one's abilities, qualities, and judgment. Okay. So I believe that I have the ability to do this. I Yes. I, You're a great um, broadcaster. Yeah. You have confidence. You are, so, yeah, that's you, more – to me, that means confidence in uh, your ability to execute things. That's kind of what – that's kind of how I look at it too. Like I, yeah. I feel like I'm a fairly self-confident person. Self-esteem, the term self-esteem is used to describe a person's overall subjective sense of personal worth or value. In other words, how much you appreciate and like yourself. Mm. Your self-esteem is defined by many factors, including self-confidence, identity, sense of belonging, self-competence. I sort of look at self-esteem as the idea that you belong here. Yeah. Your place is secure here. Meaning whether it's in your home or just, quite frankly, in the world. Okay, that that really makes sense. Yeah, you have the right to be in the place that you are. And I think when you sort of nuance those two ideas, you can see how somebody might have self-confidence but not always have self-esteem. For sure, because think about it like an example of walking into a room – Maybe like a networking event, okay? Mm-hmm. So you can exude self-confidence. You can walk up to people, chat, 
and and execute what you need to execute in order to succeed in that moment and believe that you have the ability ability to do so. Right. But on a deeper level, if you don't have a sense of self-esteem, you don't believe that you're worth being in the room. Yes. Yes. Okay. So I think one's oh, easier to fake, actually. <laughs> For sure. Self-confidence. Well, yeah. And isn't and now that you think about that, isn't it so true? Can't you relate to either, is it yourself or is it somebody else where you can think that person projects self-confidence, but in the moments when they're by themselves, you know that they have a deep battle with insecurity. Yeah. I could probably start listing about 90% of people who work in media. <laughs> Like yeah, I mean, I think, well, yes, for sure. And, <laughs> and, but I, I do, I, as I keep going through that quote, and the quote sort of stuck with me, girls get their self-confidence from their mothers and their self-esteem from their fathers, because it resonated with me immediately. Yeah. Um, and I think there was, for my life, a lot of truth in that. My mother was a working mother, a working woman in the 1970s, very successful in public relations. She modeled in such a strong way for us, go out in the world and take it. Yeah. Just take it. She was a vice president of one of the largest public relations firms in the country in 1976. That's extraordinary. They should make a movie about her. (laughs) But as – so as young girls, that's what we saw every day. And I didn't have a mom that was at least outwardly – wondering about her abilities. Yeah. She just did. And so I think that for me, that's sort of how I look at that part of it. Self-esteem from their fathers, I will always, despite my later difficulties with my father, I am always extremely grateful for my first 10 or 11 years with my dad, Mm -hmm. who I think very much love having daughters who very much made us feel like what we were interested in was the most important thing in the world. I mean, I've talked about this before on the podcast, that my dad was the kind of person I expressed an interest that at like eight that I wanted to be a lawyer. He was feeding me books. He showed me the way to become a page. He was very supportive. And I spent a ton of time. I started thinking about it. I spent a ton of time with my dad because I worked at his company. From like age six, we would go in on Saturdays and work in his warehouse. And so I spent a lot of time with him and a lot of time with him sort of – he would teach us, you know, about business and he he liked that. And so I think I got a lot of self-esteem in terms of always knowing that he wanted me to be with him, ironically, Mm -hmm. and we were always welcome to be with him and we were always welcome to express big thoughts with him. He was such a good listener on – I always would talk politics with my dad. And so I think that idea of being 9, 10, 11, 12, 13 and being able to be in a political debate with my father where he was hearing me and having the discussion with me gave me a very early sense that at least in his estimation, I was smart and that my opinions had value. Yeah, And that was important. So anyway, but for you, does that ring true with you? I don't know if it really rings true for me in terms of me seeing that separation. I saw I saw my mom really as a person. I watched her evolution. 
she was younger when she had us than I am when I had kids. And so I remember watching my mom. Well, she didn't work when, when I was little until I was like three. Um, and then I think after she had my middle sister, she went back to work and she, she needed a job. My dad was a minister and, you know, I know you all find this shocking, but they don't always make a ton of money. And so we, my mom was like, I'm going to get a job. And I remember my mom, she got her, she got a job at Dayton's at, uh, which is a department store now, now sadly gone, but lives in Minnesotans hearts forever and at the mall in Burnsville in a suburb. And she got this job and she started selling women's suits and Hmm. they would, she just like worked retail when she could drop us off with my dad and then vice versa. And they like, were doing the whole tag team thing. And they would have this competition where it would be, if you sold this many suits, you would get a free suit. And so my mom thought, well, I could do that. (laughs) And she thought, well, I don't want to buy clothes to wear to this job. So if I can win them, I'm going to do it. So she started selling these suits and just started crushing it. And before they knew it, she was like, and this was when department stores were still really magical. Right. I mean, she was, she, before she knew it, she was selling all of these suits and she was like the top salesperson in women's clothing at the Burnsville Center. I can see And so, so see that. they said to her, Hey, what do you think about selling furniture? We yeah. would like for you to sell furniture. <laughs> and she was like, Well, I never really thought about selling furniture. I mean, keep in mind my mom has a music education teaching degree. Like right. and she, and she really never planned on working a day in her life. She thought right. like I'm going to be a pastor's wife and this is how I'm going to live. And then she was like, No, this is not how it's going to go. So she, so she said, okay, I'll go sell furniture. So she moved to the home store, which was in Edina and she started selling furniture. And before she knew it, she was like the top selling furniture person. And so they said, well, we would like you to go into the design studio, but you have to have a design degree. And she said, well, I never thought okay. about having a design degree, but I'll go to this community college and get my design degree. So she went to the Century College, got her design degree, and then moved into the design studio. And there were many years when my mom was the top salesperson for the entire Marsh. Then it turned to Marshall Fields, the entire Marshall Fields company. And and so I think what I saw there, and what I really, what I think was such a great lesson about from my mom's life has been that you don't always have to be what you thought you had to be, love that, or what you are, yep. and that you don't necessarily have to have this like obsessive career driven life in order to have a great career. You can just that. be doing the best at whatever you're doing. And that was a hard one because I didn't learn that really until I was in my late 20s. I mean, it took like, it was a lot of driving in media for me to get to the next thing, get to the next thing until I finally learned that lesson. But now that I think about it, it was there all along from her that you don't have to, when someone says like, what's your dream job? What do you want to do? What do you want to accomplish? I always felt like I had to have an answer for that. Right. And I don't feel like I have to have an answer for that because- I have no idea what the next opportunity might be or what the next thing, the next passion might be. And oftentimes I think when we obsess over what that next thing is going to be, we are really limiting ourselves. And my mom never limited herself. She just was like, oh, okay, I'm doing the best I can at this. And then what can I do next? So It's, 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 it's so cool because I think what she modeled was 
And and these are such important things when you think about how you're living your life and how your children look at you as you live your life. Yeah. And what I think what her life to me, and I know your mom a little bit, and she's just as charming as all get out, <laughs> is it's just sort of a graceful unfolding. Right. And and I think to 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 see that and to be witness to it, especially as a woman, is a really powerful thing. Yeah. To know that stay open, stay curious, stay invested, and really sort of amazing things can happen. And I think that that's a, sort of a story of grace in so many ways. I think so, too. And if you hold dear to those values of honesty, integrity, and hard mm-hmm. work, that then there is something that just kind of can evolve and happen on its own. Right. And when it came to my dad, you know, the one thing about, I will say that when it comes to like that sense of self-esteem, I do believe my, I mean, my dad always made it clear that we, we were worthy of, of being heard and listened to, and nobody was smarter than us. You know, that yep. was something that he was always like, well, even with teachers, I remember him being like, you need to be respectful, but they're not any smarter than you. They're a person. You know, and I think that's a really good thing. I remember when we were kids and we were growing up at the church, I spent, I spent like every night, it feels like it was every night at that church when my dad was the pastor because he would have meetings until like 10 o'clock and my mom would have to work at the selling suits until 10 o'clock at night until the mall closed. And so I remember us spending so much time there. And being in his office and my dad would be in meetings and we would just be like on our own around the church. And so we would have to like make up games and they didn't have like fancy TVs then, Marjorie. I no. couldn't just like turn no. on cable. No, there no, There was no. no internet. There was no. nothing. No. So my sisters and I had to entertain ourselves. And I do remember there's always a few church members and you Lutherans know who I'm talking about in particular that are just real crotchety about stuff. And I remember... um <laughs> There were times when we'd be like spinning the chairs around, you know, they had like chairs on wheels. And so we would be like racing each other (laughs) on the chairs on wheels. And I remember one specific time where a woman who was a member of the church came up and said, you girls, you can't spin on those chairs like that. And I said, oh, yes, we can. Um, we can. And, uh, my dad said that it was fine for us to do this. And I got that ability to stand up for, myself and for my sisters because my dad always gave us that power to do so. And that is the basis of self-esteem. I mean, I guess I never really thought about it until I saw that definition that you went through of what self-esteem is, is understanding your worth and your value and understanding that you belong in the room. And by giving us the power to stand up for ourselves, even when it involved people that were sort of his boss at the yep. church, you know, yep, very um, much so that we had that then that really gave us that self-esteem. I, I think that's why the quote sort of hit me so hard, because when I when you think about raising your children, and obviously we talk a lot about that on Best of the Nest, it's just those two things are so important to send your children out into the world with self-confidence and self-esteem. And probably yeah. the order that I would say is self-esteem and then self-confidence, because I yeah. think if you have self-esteem, self-confidence is a natural 
will flow naturally from that in many ways. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know that and, – and we talk about self-confidence from your mother and self-esteem from your father. And there are so many families that aren't built that way that I think what – really I think what everybody should think about is just how do we get there? It doesn't have to be necessarily mother and father. I was talking about this with Ian last night and I said – you know, I was telling him about the Trini Woodall Mia Friedman conversation, and I said, you know, it was really interesting when Mia Friedman asked Trini Wood- Woodall, who's this hugely successful woman in London, where if that were tr- if that was true for her, and she kind of looked sad for a moment, oh. and she said, I didn't get that from either of my parents. Wow. And so I think, and so when I actually I was talking to my husband last night, and I said, how do you respond to? As a, as a man, as a boy, how do you respond to the statement? And he said, I would have to say the same. I don't think I got it from either. And we're talking generationally. We're talking about people in their 50s and 60s. That, I don't think, was a big discussion when our parents were raising children. No way. Of making sure that they had self-confidence and that they felt like they belonged in the world. And so I just think it's such a, a wonderful thing to think about for your own kids. And I said to my husband, well, then who – because he's a very strong person. I said, where did you get it then? And he said, honestly, he said, probably my brother and the Bible. Wow. And I thought that was so interesting. He said that he actually as a kid would like do something that he didn't feel good about. And he said, I would go to Bible stories and sort of think about what the Bible story had told me, and then I would redo it differently next time. Oh, my, <laughs> oh gosh. my God. <laughs> but, you know, that is a really – that's actually – what a beautiful sentiment and what a wonderful way to think about faith. And yeah. what – and, of course, leave it to Ian to bring it in, into us a faith discussion today because yep. of that. But because isn't that at the core of what – what it's supposed to give to us. Yes. I mean, that feeling of unconditional love from our creator, yep. that feeling of belonging and of being part of the greater good. And, and of course, giving to others and helping others and how much that we know impacts our own self-worth and our own exactly. value, that those are the lessons and the teachings that the Bible is trying to get at. I mean, I I actually think that's like an amazing simplification of even just the quest for faith, yep. that if we brought it down to that level, we would probably have a much less complicated view and a complicated relationship with our religion. Exactly. And I think <laughs> that's what was such sort of a breakthrough, too, for me in talking to him is that idea. Because, you know, when we set it up mother-father structure, you know, if you're not living within that structure, or you're not raising your children within that structure. I just loved the conversation with him because what that meant was – it's not necessarily that linear. Yeah. It's not linear. It's no. bigger than that. And faith and the idea that you are loved and that you belong here, yeah. like you said, is the foundation of faith. Yeah. And I, it's, it is so interesting to me that that has always been one of the things that has deeply attracted me to my husband is his sense of well-being mm-hmm. and self-esteem 
and knowing what his place is in the universe. And it does come down to faith. And as he said, as his brother, he has a wonderful older brother who was just instrumental to him. He's, I think, nine years older than him. But I, so I, I, I wanted to widen the discussion to that and exactly in the, in the ways that you've said is that it, it does simplify it in that way. But it, it goes back again to it's something that I think as parents, we need to think so strongly about, are we doing this for our children? And sort of the negative side of that is for girls, if we bring it back to girls, yeah, is I can't tell you how many women I have known growing up. And you can think there's something wrong with it or not wrong with it. But I will say when talking to girlfriends whose mothers were so hard on them mm-hmm. and their appearance – Oh, and that and and we've had people write into the show about that when we've talked about talking about weight and how we talk about weight to our daughters. But I've known women whose mothers would tell them, you know, don't leave the house without putting your face on. I find yeah. that sentence to be one of the worst sentences that you could <laughs> express to a young girl. That your face isn't good enough just as it is. Just your as it face. is. You can't even face the world with your bare face. face. And yeah. have you ever heard that expression? Or is that a oh, dated yeah, expression? Of oh, gosh, no. I say it before I go on TV. I got to deal with my face. <laughs> <laughs> I say it all the time. I leave the office and I'm like, oh, guys, I'll see you in the set. I got to go deal with my face right now. But, you know, I, I feel I, like my face is just fine. I just know that under harsh lights, I got to have a little coating of something on there. But it's true. I mean, when you think about that and what that means, you're I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's just it's just the simplest thing that would cut to the core on self-esteem and confidence that I, yeah. I'm not just going out in the world the way that I am isn't good enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not I don't look like everybody else. And I just I just feel so strongly that we when we think about our, our kids, we need to think about the language we use when we talk to them, because you are going to be whoever you are in that child, you know, whatever role you are, you are going to be the basis for their fundamental basis for self-esteem and self-confidence. And Mm -hmm. I I just, I don't think we, we talk about that as a culture enough. And quite frankly, in terms of TV and media, which we both work in, nothing would make me happier than if women would go on television and men, they would all go on television without makeup. Alicia Keys, way to go. You're our idol. Wouldn't that she be amazing? It. Yeah, that would be amazing. I mean, just that and just it doesn't have to be every day. <laughs> but just like it would be such an interesting experiment of it because certainly I think is evolving when, to less though, Marjorie, if it makes you feel any better. I mean, the amount of makeup that I wear now at 39 and a half compared to what I wore when I worked in television when I was 22 is completely different. There it's you go. completely different. It's well, just I mean, so much lighter. And I think too, I think, yeah. So, but I, I, but I just think there's a lot of things to think about here that are so important. And I don't know how we, when we look at our boys, I, I, and that's why I was talking to my husband. I said, where did you get those things from? And then, and then we had the discussion, but I, I think the same, whether you break it down, self-confidence from mother and self-esteem from father, whatever you look at it is, I think with boys, the, the pressures that used to, we look, I think that we used to look at as primarily affecting women. I think affect boys in much the same way. 
because well, yeah. of, of social media. So I think and, all of the things – sorry, go well, ahead. Well, yeah, no, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say that when we look back at our conversation that we started with today, which was our continuation of our conversation from last week, if boys felt that they had a place in the world and that they belonged there and they had the confidence to execute whatever abilities they have – Think about how the world could be different, Marjorie. Right. I mean, think about how the world could be different. I mean, we need that for our girls, no question. I might argue at this point in time, in order for our girls to be happy and safe and successful, we need that for our boys even more. Absolutely. Absolutely. And 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 it goes back again to something I was saying last week, but I say all the time, is that's why it's so important that we, when we talk about these really delicate issues that it doesn't become a me versus them or mm-hmm. us versus them because yeah. it has to be a collective for everything to get better. It does. Can I leave you with one thought, Marjorie? Please. When I adopted my late puppy, Henry, the West Highland White Terrier, when I was 22 years old, wearing lots of makeup on television in Duluth, Minnesota, Yes, I remember looking at dog breeds and deciding what dog breed was right for me. And I read the American Kennel Club Association description of a West Highland White Terrier. And you know what it said about Westies, Marjorie? What? It said they have no shortage of self-esteem. And I thought to myself, that is a respectable dog, and that is the dog for me. Oh, I love that so much. So there you go. Go out in the world, my friends, with no shortage of self-esteem. That's what we're going to give to you today. (laughs) If you're enjoying this podcast, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and give us a review at Apple Podcasts. So we have a review today, and this is from Jay Poplar, and she writes, I'm assuming it's a she, she said, love this podcast. I'm currently binging all of the episodes. Can't wait to hear about Elizabeth's garden prep this spring. (laughs) It's about that time. It's it about is about that, that. I was just looking out the window going, the future is here. It's time there to get go. planning. Yeah, we'll have an episode coming up soon. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at Best of the Nest or go to bestofthenest.com to subscribe to our newsletter. We are the podcast that brings you home. To be your best every day, you need proven quality sleep every night. Science proves your best sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. And that's where the Sleep Number Bed comes in. And let me tell you, ever since I've had it, my Sleep IQ score is just going higher and higher. And did you know 8 out of 10 couples say that one of them sleeps too hot or too cold? Science tells us regulating your sleep temperature leads to higher quality sleep. For many couples, temperature struggles are a real challenge. So here are some tips to help you both sleep just right. Look for beds designed with temperature benefits such as the new Sleep Number Climate 360 Smart Bed that actively warms and cools each side so you both sleep blissfully comfortable. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number 360 Special Edition Smart Bed. Plus, special financing for a limited time. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com slash podcast one. Sleep Number the official sleep and wellness partner of the National Football League. Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required. See sleepnumber.com for details. 
Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.